Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the new owners in Utah sports business podcast, The Sportacast. I think you're jumping ahead, Mr. Novi Williams, the prospective, the possible, the reported, and we doing the reporting, of course, the maybe, the could be, the getting close, the near to. How else? Give me some other. How, how else would I say that? I think possible I, you, in negotiation, punch yes. list, wherever we want to be on All that. All right. Yeah. So why don't we tell everybody what we're talking about? Major League Soccer, Real Salt Lake, and one David Blitzer, co-owner of the Philadelphia 76ers, New Jersey Devils, investor in Crystal Palace, some other soccer teams, the Blitzer in Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, going out on his own. No Josh Harris, as far as we know, on this one. But uh, looks like Mr. Blitzer is nearing, nearing a deal, uh, at least a group that includes David Blitzer, is nearing a deal to acquire Real Salt Lake. This has been going on for a while um, MLS is handling the negotiations. Why don't you fill in some detail as to how we got to this point? Yeah, we got to this point that the former owner of Real Salt Lake, Deloy Hansen, there were some allegations of, of, of racist behavior in the workplace uh, about a year ago. MLS investigated it as a result of kind of the result of that investigation. Deloy Hansen agreed that he would sell the team. That was back in August or September of last year, I believe. Uh, and that, you know, didn't he, he spent a couple months looking for a buyer. It wasn't working out all that well. Eventually, MLS took over the sale of the team, as we've seen actually in, in a number of other sports yeah. in, in, in specific situations over the years. Uh, and now MLS has been in charge of this process since January. We're 11 months in. Scott, you and I have done a, a bit of reporting about who was interested. That there was a lot of site visits for prospective buyers coming in uh, and visiting the the location in Salt Lake City. People from overseas, people from as we talk about David Blitzer, owner, ownership groups from other uh, other sports teams. Uh, and it does appear right now that they are fairly close to a deal. A group uh, led by or including David Blitzer, depending on who you talk to. Um, but on its face, Scott, I think David is exactly the kind of owner that MLS wants to be courting in the same way that we've talked about Wes Edens as a potential owner of a, of an expansion team in Las Vegas. 
Major League Soccer wants to have a, a diverse ownership group that includes people that have expertise in other leagues. And David Blitzer has a co-owner of an NBA team and an, and an NHL team, in addition to, to European soccer assets uh, all across the continent. Seems like exactly the kind of person MLS would want. Yeah, and you and I have been writing for a while on sort of these stake sales and investments that have been going on in MLS. And as is always the case, Mr. Novi Williams, it comes down to price, right? My guess would be uh, our reporting shows us that you know MLS would like this transaction to be completed with the number four in front of the price tag on, on MLS. And as you, you know uh, very well, there are many ways in which these deals can be structured for clawbacks, conditions, if certain criteria is met or not. Um, but I had heard during the process, I had heard that there were a number of owners that were pushing for MLS to actually buy the team because that four number may not have been realistic or possible. I'm hearing that is the possibility with certain conditions. So uh, I'm guessing, and this is guesswork, you tell me whether you agree or not, that MLS does not want to be in the business of owning and operating a team for the long term. And long term could be six months, a year, where you're, you're having to do these things like the NBA for a while owned a team and had to operate it well you know the uh, the hornets while they were looking for a sale and some conflicts came up and david stern had to nix a trade and it just gets uh annoying and ugly sometimes so my, my guess would be that given druthers that uh the soccer don well, don garber the commissioner would rather not be the owner of this team especially as you said when you can bring in an owner like David Blitzer, a.k.a. Blitz in the industry, where he has all of the strategics, where he has the experience, where he can bring in sort of the know-how and the do, the how-to from his other operations and plug it right in to the Real Salt Lake franchise. I think you're right about that, Scott. The, the reason why Major League Soccer, the, the argument for not selling this right now, maybe taking ownership of it and selling it in a year, is that there's a, a pretty big uh, or, or kind of seminal for the league uh, media rights uh, deal that is about to be signed at some point in the next year or so. Uh, and if the league believes that the market is not pricing in the value of whatever that next media deal is to the extent that it believes the deal is going to be, it can very easily, it could, the league could hold on to this team, wait until it signs a new rights deal with Pickett, ESPN, slash Fox, slash Univision, whoever it is. Uh, if that's a 2x increase, if it's a 5x increase, whatever it is, um, they could then hit the market with Real Salt Lake with, with, with the prospective buyers knowing exactly what that media deal is going to be. That seems to be the only argument for it. Um, but you're right, Scott. They don't, the league doesn't want to own this team. And, and 400 million seems to be kind of a magic number in, in, in some degrees. The, the two other MLS teams that have sold controlling stakes this year were both right around that number. The, the, when the, when the Wolf family, the owner of the Vikings, when they bought in Orlando city, I believe that was 400 to 450. When Ted Siegel, the real estate developer bought in Houston, the dynamo, that was about 400 as well. It is pretty clear that that is a kind of a number for, 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 for MLS teams in this tier that is important to major league soccer. I believe at least on the, on the Wolf deal, there were some of those clawbacks you're talking about. So some performance uh, metrics that, that may actually shift some money back to, to old owners, depending on how the asset performs. Um, but yes, we, we, Kurt Badenhausen, who does our valuations, he put Salt Lake, Real Salt Lake at around 420. 
uh, when, he, when he did MLS numbers uh, about uh, six or seven months ago, I believe, sometime during the summer. Uh, so I think, yeah, you're right. If, if this deal does get done, I would think the sticker price would be somewhere right in that 400 to 425 range. And there is precedent to what you were talking about in terms of what's the media going to look like and uh, on big scale. Remember when Guggenheim and the Dodger sale was going on, it was all about what is that regional sports network deal going to be look like? What, what, what's the rights payment? How much? And once the owners or the prospective owners of the Dodgers, and that'd be Mark Walter at the time and, and Todd Bowley, once they felt comfortable and had a nice ballpark, you know, Todd has denied to me, he knew the exact figure, but either way, once they felt comfortable, the ballpark of what that media contract would look like distribution or not, they knew what their bid for the team could be. And as we all know, that went for, you know, two point plus billion dollars, including some real estate there. So yeah, I, I think you're right on it. And a lot of it will depend on the uh, the rights fee that they get here. And I mean, that also like moves to our next subject, like the EPL broadcast deal. But we're talking, you know, soccer over the next five, 10, 15 years. I know the EPL and MLS are not the same. But if we're looking at from an MLS standpoint, you said 2x, even 4, 6, 10x, whatever it might be, the number is still not what it would be. And this is okay. This is not like a direct comparison, like MLS has to be the NFL or NBA. That's not the point. The point is, what is the direction? What is the future? What's the value of the content that MLS can give to these media companies? Uh, that way, these owners will know uh, a significant portion of the revenue and what they can bid on these teams. So if you're if you're looking to the EPL as a guide, we're looking at a two plus billion dollar number right now. And as we have always said in, in negotiation 101, Eben Novi Williams, if you want to say more bidders means what? More money. More money. So there, there, that's what we have here. NBC, the incumbent in. Disney, CBS looks like combined bin in. More bidders, more money. And you're seeing the value of EPL soccer. Let's see what it means for MLS. But as for the EPL, kind of flat on the domestic TV number when, when they redid it, but clearly valuable programming here in the U.S. It's a perfect example of why all these European leagues and European teams, they're, they're considering themselves relatively saturated in their home markets. They may get some increase in, in media when the new rights comes up. EPL did not see a huge one. But they clearly see overseas markets and the United States and China are two of the biggest as the way in which they really keep growing the revenue pie. The EPL is the second most watched soccer league in the U.S. behind Liga MX. I believe it is the most watched soccer league in English language. And as a result, it's going to be extremely expensive. The La Liga right now has the most expensive uh, uh, overseas European deal in the U.S. That's about $175 million per year, uh, EPL is going to top that for sure because it is a more popular and more valuable property, at least here in the US. Um, but again, you, you get a sense of the way that these European leagues think about their long-term revenue expansion, and it's not domestic. It is in new places like the US or like China where they can get massive, massive rights increases. I have said it a million times. If you look at the stadiums themselves, you have X number of seats times X number of dollars you know, that you can charge for that seat. That is a finite number. The money is in the scale. And the technology today certainly assists in the scale. What we're seeing in new technologies is how do we do it? How do we cop capture not only existing audiences, you know, second screen? How do we capture new? How do we capture younger? How do we monetize those eyeballs? You know, John Skipper said it many, many times to me, just 
get me the eyeballs. It is my job to figure out how to monetize it. And that's where we are. If you have the number one sort of sports marketing market in the US, if you're the EPL, of course you want to be here. You want to be in front of these eyeballs. Uh, Those players, many of them, are becoming international global superstars. They are big time global stars. Companies are going to figure out how to way to do it. You've got sports betting, you've got social, all of these new revenue streams. They just got to figure out how to do it. But to, to make that happen, if you're NBC, you got to pony up, right? These are very interesting calculations now at a time when they're shuttering NBCSN. You, do you put it on the mothership NBC? Um, and what do the leagues want to know? If, if I'm the EPL and I'm an EPL owner right now, and I am listening to these pitches, what do you want to know? How are you going to treat us? It matters. Go, Gary Bettman said it when he was on ESPN, right? Like if we did half as many, whatever, if they promote us half as much as they did ignoring us, we'll be 10 times better, whatever it may be. There is great value on these platforms. These owners and these leagues want to know, what are you going to do for me? Money is, I'm guessing, would you agree that the money is going to be fairly close on this? Like it's not going to be a decision based solely on that decimal point. It matters a whole lot. The bids wise. Yeah. The bids from a combined CBS, ESPN and NBC, uh, they're going to be fairly close. It's, it's almost like when you're, when you're interviewing a prospective limited partner now in a franchise, if I'm selling a piece of a franchise, 5%, 10%, whatever it may be, and I've got five folks coming to me and saying, I want it. They're all going to have the money. And they're all going to be fairly close. I mean, if somebody blows you out of the water, of course, you can certainly go that way. But from a prospective LP standpoint now, I need to know what is the synergistic abilities here? What else do you bring to the table? Do you bring a finance expertise? Do you bring a real estate expertise? Do you bring a media expertise? It's not enough to come with the money. And that's what you're going to see here. I'm very interested in beyond the, I mean, the headline's going to be the 2 billion, 2 plus billion. Great. Okay. That, that's great. They got a nice increase, like double the amount. Perfect. Now I want to know what else did these companies promise the EPL and these teams? How do they utilize their vast universes and their ancillary businesses to help push the league, its teams, and the stars? Because that's, good, that's what's going to create the difference moving forward. The people who do these deals will tell you that the advantage always goes to the incumbent because yes. it's a there, there's a familiarity there. From what I understand, the EPL is fairly happy with the stuff that NBC has done to promote it over the past few years. So I think there, there, there's probably something kind of baked into it for that. But but you're right, Scott. This is all about not just the money because we we often see, especially in 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 European and and overseas soccer deals, we often see that that the highest bidder isn't the one that ends up getting it. The, the, for some of these leagues. Getting distribution, getting availability to watch is almost more important than just the revenue itself. So certainly something to look at. And, and, and the EPL is doing it a little bit differently in the U.S. than some other leagues. La Liga has a joint venture in North America and in Mexico uh, with Relevant, which is Stephen Ross's soccer uh, events group. Uh, and they are essentially aimed at doing a lot more of, of the things that you're talking about. Yes, La Liga North America negotiated both the, the new deal with ESPN in the U.S. and a, a brand new deal with Televisa in Mexico and, and Central America, but they're also doing, they built a content studio in Guadalajara. They're working on getting regular season La Liga games, both to uh, trying in the US and, and I would expect maybe trying in Mexico as well. There's a whole commercialization strategy in, in these new kind of budding marketplaces, industry or, or, or media or markets like the US um, that is again, much more than just being able to get the games available on Saturdays and Sundays.
Can I throw something at you that we have not discussed? You'll be totally unprepared for, but I think you've had some fun anyway, right? Can <laughs> yes, I put you on the please. spot? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I want to have a little larger discussion. We do have other topics, but I find this stuff massively interesting. I, I really do. Where do you stand? Like Bob Chapek w- was, had Disney earnings the other day and you know the, the user growth on, on the streaming side was, was not what they expected. And I'm not shocked by that, frankly. I mean, it's, it's programming related. Let's see how it goes. But Disney seems to part and parcel. This is the debate going on. They part and parcel networks. They're streaming networks based on content. Like there's Disney Plus, there's ESPN Plus, there's different pieces based on content. Netflix, which is the 800-pound gorilla, they don't do that. There's one platform. It's Netflix. And content of different genres coexists right there. You can have Squid Game um, right next to kids programming. You just have to go and pick. And I don't think consumers care. So the debate I'm hearing, I'm reading, I'm seeing is does Disney need to just scrap this plan of separate places, separate streaming services based on content? Can it just be Disney Plus, if they want to go with the parent company, and you put your sports there and you put your kids programming there and you put your adult content there, whatever. Can you just have one platform or do you need to part and parcel it out the way it is? It's such an interesting question because so much of of what a lot of people, maybe if you go back, let's say go back five years, so much of what people kind of expected and were excited about the streaming future was kind of the a la carte nature of it in some ways, right? That this idea that for so long, everybody had one big, large cable bill that had everything in it. Yeah. And the truth is that not everybody wanted to watch sports and not everybody wanted the cartoons and not everybody wanted the movies. So, so fracturing that apart was the thing that I think a lot of people were excited about as consumers. Now that we're halfway here, partially here, Scott, I think we're realizing one, that it's not cheaper necessarily to go a la carte. It can be significantly more expensive, but also in some ways what you're, what you're offering there is, is, is a essentially a, a cable bundle for streamed via one platform, right? I, th- I think that there is at least some value in breaking those things apart. I am an ESPN plus subscriber. I am not a Disney plus subscriber. The Disney plus part of that does not interest me at all. Uh, and as a result, if I can pay less for just the things that I watch, that seems better, at least for me right now. I mean, ESPN does a really good job of offering these things as a bundle, as they're discounted. I'm sure part of what they're doing there is getting a sense of exactly what you're talking about, about what would happen if we made everything just a bundle, how many people really do just care about one of these platforms, Hulu Plus instead of ESPN Plus or Disney Plus instead of Hulu Plus, um, and then trying to figure that out. Uh, but yes, it's, it's it's a good question. And, and, and the other thing I would say on this is that there's always been this kind of possibility rumors about Disney's plans with ESPN, if that involved spinning it out at some point or really separating the companies, there's a chance that keeping ESPN plus separate from those things is also a way of keeping that door open. If that is a door they want to walk through at some point in the future. Yeah. I would say Chapex comments sort of how important sports is to Disney and how they view it. It would sort of suggest that that won't be the case, but it does pop up every, every now and then. Yeah. You know me, I'm, I'm an old guy, you know, I have the cable bundle. It works for me. I just keep looking at all these new things, whether it's the morning show, whether it was Hamilton, and I can't order them all based on these one-off things that I might want to watch once. Yeah, I, I have to figure out which ones do I want, which ones do I need, is it worth this one program? So I've just decided to, you know, go in my shell, like you know, totally turtle in my shell, and be like, Eben, you tell me what I need to do and watch because. I'm not going out one by one by one and adding all these. I'm interested. And this is, this is just like case study one. As you know, if there's one thing the Soshnik family does tune into, 
it's NHL hockey, right? Yeah. You know, we're a hockey family, you know that. But interestingly, my kid doesn't watch it all the time. So this is the only thing that has kept me. So they have used ESPN Plus very effectively in this NHL deal to have really good games, exclusive games on Plus to really drive those subs. So far, sorry, Disney folks, so far I have resisted because I have enough in the area. I can watch the Devils, the Rangers, the Islanders almost every night. Then I get the national games on Turner. and the, So uh, I can watch plenty of hockey in my house without signing up. But there are plenty of times where I'm like, ooh, I would kind of like to see Connor McDavid play, you know, whatever tonight. And that, that would be good. But I haven't done it yet. I just find it interesting how they've utilized that exclusivity to push the plus and how effective some of these, even one-offs like Hamilton, my wife, she had to see it. She wanted it. She had to see it. She signed up, but little, little, I think she canceled. <laughs> I think she pulled one of those. So, you know, I, I'm just not sure where these leagues are with, with the streaming. Is it get me the most money? Is it, we have to plan for the future. Is the future a little further along than we thought it would be right now? So dip our toe in the water of streaming. Does it have to be Peacock? Can it be plus? which is advantageous to us. These are all the things that we're finding out in real time and I find fascinating. Part of this discussion that I've kind of always wondered about um, and, and I think is, is something that people in the industry do also is about password sharing. Yeah, There's so much of, of, of exactly the thing that you're talking about right now that, that people are getting around because they have a cousin, they have a parent, they have a child, they have a friend that, that is willing to lend them passwords. And, and, and a lot of the things that I watch, Scott, I'm watching on accounts that are not mine. Um, and as a result, a lot of my friends are, are using accounts that are mine because we have a tit for tat for X and Y. Um, and that is something that's been going on for, I mean, Netflix for so long made, made part of its calling card, this fact that you could have essentially unlimited accounts. And to my knowledge, they haven't reined them in all that much. I am waiting, keep waiting for the moment at which kind of the entire streaming industry decides that, yeah, that's, you know, that's not, it's not enough anymore. And then I think you get a really good sense of what people are watching that is, required, what, that they have to have, that they're willing to pay for monthly or, or yearly, et cetera. Um, but right now, we're, we're still kind of in this middle ground where if you need to watch the morning show, you can find someone in your ecosystem that has Apple Plus that will let you log in for, for two or three weeks to watch it and, and, and then let that be it. Um, we're, we're still kind of in this weird stage where the economics, I think, fully haven't meshed out because there's so much free available right now. All right. We had lots to talk about, but since you and I rambled on so long about that, and that's my fault, I'll take the hit on that one. And since you just, by the way, put your hand up and said theft of service guy right there, that's E or <laughs> <laughs> Evan Novi Williams at <laughs> um, Team, Team USA, new deal with Nike, victory over Mexico, uh, inching toward that World Cup berth, uh, all good things for Team USA soccer. Yeah, a lot of momentum right now. As you mentioned, the, the Nike deal is, is the largest commercial partnership in, in USA soccer history. They are currently negotiating new CBAs with both the men's team and, and, and most importantly, given current lawsuits, the women's team as well, as we've talked about, about you know a number of sports, getting a long-term labor accord is, is, is pretty critical uh, for leagues and federations of all sorts. But, but if they can clear that hurdle, the men's team looks like it is potentially the best U.S. team that, that we've ever had. It's very young. The women's team, obviously dominant. 
We have a world, a men's world cup in the U S in 2026. We have a summer Olympics in the U S in 2028. We have a pretty good shot. I think at hosting a women's world cup in 2031. Uh, we're really looking at a potentially uh, pretty massive 10 year run here for soccer in the U S and going back to the original topic. So many of the people that are investing in, in MLS right now, and I would imagine blitz is, is one of them uh, are looking at the fact that back in 1994, when the U S hosted the last men's world cup here, it was a massive moment for soccer in the U S it's the reason major league soccer exists right now. There are a lot of people out there that believe that men's world cup, summer Olympics, potential women's world cup kind of stacked up in that five or six year stretch is really going to do wonders commercially for the sport here in the U S. All right. And now let's switch to the NFL to close this out. What are the two most feared words at NFL headquarters? I'll give uh, you, I'll give you discovery two. and concussions. <laughs> oh, I was going to go right. Well, discovery was the first one and deposition, okay. discovery <laughs> and deposition. Yeah. Those are the two most feared words at NFL headquarters. Fair. And of course, John Gruden has now filed suit against the NFL based on his firing. Of course, um, it's going to be really interesting one day to look back and see who it was that leaked those emails, you know, it, it was clearly John Gruden was targeted in this to, for whatever reason. Um, I'm not sure the person who did it really understood the wide ranging ramifications of what would soon follow. But here we are. Uh, and you have to you have to know that the NFL certainly, as has been its history, does not want to have its executives sitting, uh, you know, submitting emails, submitting to discovery and having any dirty laundry aired publicly. Yeah, and, and just to kind of provide context around the news, uh, Gruden has sued the NFL. He, what he says is a, a quoting here, malicious and orchestrated campaign to destroy his career. Um, the, the the league and Goodell are named as defendants. And, and by the way, say, they say it wasn't us. The, the NFL, for the record, says we didn't do it. Uh, and I don't know, Michael McCann would need to weigh in on, on how you know, how, how legitimate this, this lawsuit is and, and, and how likely it is to, to move forward. But, uh, you know, as we, as we kind of joke there about deposition and, and discovery, the league has made it very clear. It does not, does not want to go to discovery on a lot of lawsuits. There is uh, a potentially more near-term kind of a problem for the NFL and what's going on in St. Louis. You and I have talked about that before, but that is a lawsuit that there, that's going to be in court in January, unless there is a settlement from what I understand. Um, and, and from what everything I've heard, the league does not want to, to hit discovery in that either. Um, yeah, this is uh, it's going to be fascinating to see this play out primarily because in some ways, just getting this thing to the discovery phase is the thing that is so worrisome to the NFL, not necessarily if it went to court, would they win it or not? It's trying to avoid getting a lot of things coming out in court in the process that might be damaging to the league. Boy, if you know this, the Bob Sarver, Robert Sarver, if I'm an NFL owner, executive, uh, if I am an owner, executive in any sport, are you not taking a proactive investigation right now? Like, is every team in every sport hiring sort of independent investigator? Be like, all right, put us through the car wash, all of our executives, our ownership. If there's anything there, we need to get out ahead of it. I, if that's true, my question would be what took them so long yeah yeah this is not <laughs> you new, could, right? i could argue that, that that should have been an imperative for for owners years ago 
to one, once they realized kind of how pervasive in, 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 in this culture, a lot of these problems were that they should have been taking those proactive steps a long time ago. And I think we're kind of starting to see it already. I, I can't remember which team, but I believe there's, there, there've been a few executives in, in the NBA that, that have been, you know, mm-hmm. there have been some new, new investigations popping up around them. I think we're kind of seeing the seeds of a lot of that kind of internal looking right now. But yeah, if you are a, a, a team owner and you're, you're just now saying, Hey, let's, you know, let's, <laughs> let's, let's make sure that everything's been okay here for the, for the past couple of decades, uh, you're behind the eight ball for sure. Yeah. You're talking about Neil Olshey and the Portland trailblazers is one of them. All right. He is Eben Novi Williams, uh, on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. The show as Cora Veltman, our social media editor would love for me to remind you is at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will very soon become the Sportico Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.